Welcome to the GamesNet Berlin Europe podcast. Here, we speak with extraordinary games industry professionals and listen to their story. To learn all about what they've built and who they are. GamesNet Berlin Europe is the international games industry initiative of MediaNet Berlin Brandenburg. The networking association for the media, creative and digital industries in Germany's capital region. My name is Simon Oller and I will be your host for this program. Today, we are speaking with Dirk de Goes, or Dirk de Goes, a Dutch man with an interesting name, who is the co-founder and co-CEO of Paladin Studios, a successful mobile game company based in The Hague in the Netherlands. We are having a wide-ranging conversation as usual, and this time we are starting with the philosophical stuff, with the spiritual stuff, with consciousness, because Derek is an avid practitioner and is on a spiritual path. As um, usually when we ask our guests in the end, as many of them are, and today we uh, flipped the script. So we started with that. And Derek is very open and shows a lot. And so if you're listening to this, first 30, 40 minutes of this are going quite deep into this, uh, which I think is good because it gives us an idea And if you've never heard of this, don't let it scare you. We are doing a decent job in the episode of connecting it back with practical work stuff, career stuff. And we do have great advice for you when it comes to making relationships, about making change, visionary change in your company, about what counts as a founder, what stages you go through as a founder. And that's how Derek Florian and I really tie up both the spiritual stuff and the world of forms, the practical stuff. So that's what you can expect in this episode. See for yourself. Please relax and enjoy our conversation with Dirk de Goes. Hello, good day and welcome to the GamesNet Berlin Europe podcast. Yes, it's me, Simon. Intro from me today, but of course, I'm as always here with my co-host Florian. Hey, Florian. Hey, Simon. Hey, thanks for letting me do the intro today. It feels like ages ago that I last did it. Um, we have a guest today, as always. Our guest today is Dirk de Goys. Is this right? Goys or Goys? I'm always confused with well, that. You know what? I, I, I approve. Um, the, the Dutch way to say it is Dirk de Goys, but I'm not going <laughs> to oh. ask that of anybody. <laughs> Dirk de Goys. Yeah, I can kind of do it a little bit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, And as for a little intro, as for a little bio, you tell me if I'm right about this. Dirk de Goes, a games industry veteran from the Netherlands, co-founder and CEO, co-CEO of Paladin Studios, a successful right. mobile game company, correct so far, mm -hmm. um, based in The Hague, founded over 17 years ago. Yeah. And you guys have been releasing your own IPs, but you also worked with well-known licenses such as uh, you made a remaster of Cut the Rope, developed games yeah. published by Nintendo, and uh, now a game in cooperation yeah. with Netflix called Nailed It Baking Bash. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Nice. <laughs> uh, you're also an investor in a Games Fund, and you're the chairman or a chairman of the Dutch Games Association. That's correct. Very well, nice. 10 out of 10 so far. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's great. Well, let's see if we can keep it up. And yeah, uh, yeah you know, um, we 
we normally kind of start this uh, bash with a bit of uh, where we kind of go into the the world of work and games and the industry um, because I'm starting uh, the round now and I'm the resident philosopher. We thought maybe we <laughs> could start um, on the more uh, consciousness-focused side of things and... Uh, Yeah. We actually met before at a, at a retreat in the Netherlands or at like an event in the yeah. Netherlands that was very much related to this. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's my intro. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, what's on your mind at the moment? What's important to you? What would mm. you like to open up with? Oh, that's a really interesting question because there's a lot of things important to me. But uh, um I would say what's on my mind right now is, um, of course, my company. There's a lot going on in the company that is, uh, yeah, asking for some attention, uh, some tender, loving care, if you will. And um, <laughs> so that's uh, that's a big part of my day. Um, you know, uh, you know, the Dutch Games Association, same thing. Of course, we're building up this whole ecosystem in the Netherlands, and that, uh, yeah, is also uh, top of mind. On a more personal note or the philosophical note, I would say uh, consciousness is definitely top of mind. And, you know, of course, that's a, a term that's super vague and broad and it can go in many different directions. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it depends on where <laughs> where hmm. you uh, would like to see it go. Um, but we can go deep into the rabbit hole if you want um, or uh, stay a bit closer to home. That's all good. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, let's see. Let's start. Uh, let's start on the surface. So, um, for mm -hmm. context, um, we met for the first time at, at an event by a Dutch organization called Open Business Leaders. It um, already yeah. had uh, that ring to it um, then, but it tr uh, transformed into a new organization called um, Origins, an organization mm -hmm. that a previous guest on the podcast, Stephen Lee, is also uh, fam familiar with. Yeah. And I think you've been to to some things together. Yeah, we're and different. Exactly. And um, so what is, I, I guess my first question would be, how do you combine um, business and consciousness? Because I think in our culture, it often is separate. I think we're yeah. coming closer to connection. How did you mm -hmm. discover this topic for you? When did that maybe start for you? Well, um, to answer that last question, uh, we have to go way back into time to my childhood when I was, yeah. I guess, 12, 13, 14 years old, um, discovering non-duality and consciousness books, uh, Buddhism, meditation, uh, but most of all, the philosophy of non-duality, which is, I mean, it's really <laughs> tough to describe it, but it basically states that Uh, consciousness is all there is. There is nothing outside of consciousness. Um, and that needs to be taken, not just in a way that, okay, well, you know, you, uh, your perception is, is everything, but it also uh, suggests that consciousness is in fact limitless and there is only one consciousness. That's a bit woo-woo for uh, a lot of people. And I can totally relate to that as well. I've been struggling with that concept for a long time. I dropped it for a long time as well. Um, but over the course of the years, uh, especially in those young, I, I would say those were my formative years in terms of my spiritual journey. And, um, 
mostly intellectual. So reading the books, writing in my journal, just contemplating, reflecting, and figuring out well, what is this thing? You know, why am I myself? Why am I me? You know, that's that was like this this uh, question that was bugging me back in those days, and um, I gradually dropped it um, or or pushed it down. I don't know. It, it wasn't a conscious effort uh, action, but I um, I got more into you know. Uh, making music, uh, creating um, my studies, you know, creating stuff, creating websites, building games, uh, learning how to code, all of that stuff. I started my company, Paladin, uh, 17 years ago, indeed. And sort of the spiritual part, I think, um, got to the wayside a little bit. However, what entrepreneurship did bring me was a platform and a necessity for personal growth um, because I very quickly realized that all of my ambitions and dreams um, were not that easy to achieve <laughs> in the beginning <laughs> I was like yeah you know I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be a millionaire uh, before 30 and I'm gonna be um, you know we're gonna create a game studio it's gonna be awesome we're gonna have 30 people working on great projects and all that kind of stuff uh, and then you know Pretty much in the first year, <laughs> uh, we sort of hit several walls, I guess. Um, and I say we together with my co-founder. Um, and uh, yeah, working through those walls and, and working around them, you know, figuring out how to deal with reality. That, that was basically the journey I was on. So basically going from the super spiritual like everything is consciousness, everything is love, you know, it's all a dream, you know, to getting the reality check on the ground, you know, doing the dirty work of building a, a company, um, you know, with all of the, you know, everything, because everything inside of you in terms, in terms of your psychology uh, can be a blocker or something that moves you forward. You know, things like the relationship with money, things like, uh, do you trust people? Um, can you let go of things? Um, but also, can you build the discipline? I was super lazy when I got started. Uh, can you build the discipline to really get going every day and, and drag yourself out of bed, even if things are rough, you know? Can you mm. bear the burden of leadership? Can you take responsibility for whatever it is you're doing? Um, and that really sharpened my axe, if you will, in, in hmm. terms of how to work with myself and be a human being in this beautiful world, uh, which is also very challenging and demanding. Um, but over the course of the years, I, I sort of forgot or lost touch with that spiritual side a little bit. And I think it's been, well, a year, maybe three, four years, um, that I consciously made the effort, the decision actually to to re-establish that connection and to dive more into the uh, the mystic part of uh, of the experience of being human. And um, the be the beauty of that was that it suddenly created space for me to also be a better human in the most general sense, but also specific roles, like be a better entrepreneur, be a better CEO, be a better father better partner better friend all of these things uh, start to create a little create more space in terms of um what i could do so 
for me, um, spirituality and things like entrepreneurship, but it's not just entrepreneurship. It's all of the challenging things, right? Like mm. being a father or mother uh, and being a partner, you know, those are the, you know, those are key challenges in your life. And, um, you know, without a spiritual framework or a philosophical framework, a philosophy of life, if you will, um, it's very tough to navigate those waters with it. It's still tough, but it's a little bit more, um, directed, if you will. So it really helps me to shape those parts of my life and the vice versa by actually not losing touch with actual life. Um, that is a spiritual journey on to itself. So it's really a mutual benefit, I would say. <laughs> great overture. Thank you. Really great. Um, <laughs> gives us so much to go off. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. I can imagine. <laughs> Amazing. What an opening. Well, okay, I have many questions. Um sure. so the the uh, and thank you for really laying it out and I, I think, you know, quite the unusual opening to one of these episodes. So, um we we promise we'll bring it back to actionable stuff and you already brought it back to actionable stuff pretty much. So, um mm -hmm. I think we can do a good balancing act today of Of, of connecting the two, which I think is so important, such an important translation job to be like, yeah, yeah, it might sound woo, but look, it's actually practical. That would be my kind of goal for us today to, to see what we can make, make of it. Um, mm -hmm. Because you started with your childhood, my, my first question, just to go back there, is um, you said 12, 13, 14, so quite early to the party. I mean, many people um, in their lives hit some sort of wall you've described walls already and um they're like they need to find a solution or you know the classic pray to god when you're down bad you know but um yeah, you course. actively found these topics uh in in your youth what compelled mm -hmm. you what brought you there how was it uh, well i think that was a very turbulent period in my life so um, it was one of the ways to deal with the situations that were thrown at me. So in that sense, I, I'm not an exception there. Um, I do think that I uh, naturally gravitate towards mysticism and, and spirituality. So it was a natural way for me to, uh, yeah, to figure out like, hey, what's going on? You know, like literally crossing the street and wondering like, Why am I me? I mean, that's a fundamental existential question, right? It's not something you yeah. can just lay beside. It's like, it, especially if it starts to bug you, then yeah, you, you need to deal with that somehow. So, mm. yeah. I see. So you, you did face some trouble. Do you want to talk about that or is that uh, maybe not for here? Uh, nah, it's, I guess it's not for, for now, for, not for today. Um, Understood. Understood. It's also not really relevant, I think, for the, for the topic. But uh, okay, yeah, there was great. trouble. There was trouble. <laughs> okay, got it. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, understand it. I had trouble, and I uh, listened to a lot of heavy metal and got pretty angry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. But it's it's like, yeah, but that's that's also an, you need an, a release, right? So if you have this tension building up in your life, whatever it is, right? It could be a tough client, or uh, I don't know, whatever. Um, then how are you going to deal with that, right? And the answer is not always. Oh, you need to sit down in meditation and just breathe deep, and then it's going to be chill, dude. No, sometimes mm. you just need to rock out on heavy metal 
and let all the anger and the frustration and, and the energy just energy is energy, right? There is no good energy, bad energy. Sometimes there's just mm. so much energy in your system and finding a way to release it, I think is critical. So, um, yeah, there's nothing, yeah, there's nothing that, that, uh, that you cannot use as a spiritual practice in that mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Heavy metal as a spiritual practice. I, uh, I oh like yeah, that. for sure. Yeah. And and yeah. it is right. All, all music is and and art and so on. There's and and that's what For you sure. said too. So maybe that's the next question because you said you kind of, um, my, uh, you you transmuted your research into activity. So then you went into yeah. um, art and creativity. Um, when yeah. was that? What did you do there? Is that when you also already got the idea to? make games mm, i i made games quote unquote uh, at a very young age already like nine years ten years old um just playing around with QBasic on my pc for my, my father's pc actually and um so just messing around and of course it was total <laughs> total crap there's nothing hmm. um you know it, it it was nothing literally but uh yeah, just messing around with that was quite kind of fun um but not it wasn't games in the beginning i think it was more music and uh drawing uh rather than games but that also you know i i only sort of discovered games if you will um when i was at my internship and i uh, got the challenge from my boss to find a 3d engine for uh visualizations of products and and uh, architecture and that kind of stuff so that forced me to dive into the world of 3d engines so i tried a lot of different ones um this was in the time of shockwave and fur tools and i settled on an engine called quest 3d which is uh yeah an ancient uh uh dinosaur of, of game engines it's not really a game engine even but uh yeah it was it was really uh really powerful actually for its for its time uh, especially and that sort of sucked me into the world of programming because i loved that i just really enjoyed doing it and building all these things and suddenly i was able to create worlds and interactive uh, scenes and yeah so they literally had to drag me out of the uh, the office at the end of my internship like dude you're done you're done now yeah just just this little particle says oh yeah okay <laughs> so they had to kick me out uh, so that was uh, the beginning of uh, <laughs> of games okay how old were you then or when was that in, in, in the, which oh, years were those um, i think i was 19 years old 19 years okay. old something like that I think I started Paladin when I was 21 years old. Right. So, yeah, I was 18 or 19. And Quest 3D, actually a Dutch engine. It and, is a Dutch uh, engine, yeah. 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 We started Paladin right. in the in the junk room of the Quest 3D office. <laughs> so we know those guys pretty well. All right. So 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 they they did kick you out, but you did come back, right? And then you well, I didn't intern <laughs> at Quest Three D. That was a different ah, right, right. but uh, yeah, oh, a different okay, company. But uh, yeah, no, I uh, yeah, no, they kicked me out in a loving way, in an <laughs> appreciative yeah. way. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not quite the the joke I was going for, but uh, almost. Yeah, yeah. Fair I see, enough. I see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. So there somebody, was let's say, was somebody was stuck with you in the end, and it had to do with Quest 3D, and it was Quest 3D. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Very nice. Ah, sick. So you, you, what did you say? You started in the junk room. Yeah, in the junk room of Quest 3D back then. Yeah. Like in between two thousand five. 2000 yeah literally no well not not like not like uh well tra i mean there were boxes and, and we yeah. could fit two desks in there and that was enough for us so we oh, we nice. spent the first half year there and then we got our own office because we had two two interns at that point so uh, we needed our own office and uh, we just uh, moved out okay it was really kind beginnings. of them to let us in yeah well yeah. sure yeah Thanks, Quest 3D. So they have a double kind of influence on your, on your. Uh, oh yeah, initial start. They were a big influence, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, amazing, amazing. Okay, well, and in terms of the, uh, the consciousness line we were on in that time, that wasn't a topic for you. It was more like a, let's say, a cope for you or or an entryway for you during youth. And I mean, I'm sure you didn't forget everything, mm -hmm. but it wasn't your focus. But yeah. um, then you returned to it closer to the now. And mm -hmm. yeah, maybe you can tell that story and then we can jump into all uh, other sorts of things. I'm, I'm sure Florian wants to jump in at some point. But so how did you, how did you return to that after probably one and a half decades or so of, of just creating and not being so concerned with it? I think there were two parts. First was that um, I was close to burnout. So again, it's the crisis. You know, you, you right. need that crisis to transform and to go deeper, like figure out the underlying mechanisms. And I, at that point, I I didn't really uh, do any retreats or group sessions or anything. I was really going solo, if you will, just reading books, reading books, figuring it out on my own, uh, because I, I felt if I would be part of a group or, you know, uh, a workshop, or, you know, I think part of me felt like, oh, you know, that's like cult like, or, you know, want to, you know, fall prey to other people's uh, ideas or manipulations or whatever. Honestly, I was just afraid. Um, I was just scared because Uh, if you put yourself out there in a, in a retreat, you really have to be vulnerable, and that was something that I uh, I was still not quite ready for at that point. But a couple of years back, when I was closer to burnout, I started to discover um, my way back into it, and I think it started with uh, tantric practices, and it slow yeah slowly as escalated, I guess you could say, or, or accelerated. Uh, with uh, things like meditation and, and group retreats. Um, I did a bunch of uh, retreats that were... Um, actually, this was when I... Okay, so <laughs> timeline-wise, this was when mm. I uh, fired myself as CEO, hired a new CEO, because I was so close to burnout. I, I had to do that. I had to basically say, okay, I'm going to pull the brake. I'm going to... The emergency brake. I'm going to step out for a while. Or I thought it was permanent, but it turned out to be uh, a while. And um, first thing I did was to create more time for retreats. And at the, not the first one, but the second one, I 
uh, actually committed myself to uh, discovering more because there were some powerful uh, exercises like breath work and some shamanic uh, visualizations and, and journeys and, and things like that. Um, and that felt really powerful. And uh, afterwards, I committed myself to, uh, yeah, to to finding magic in the world and seeing like what what is this all about and uh, to really uh, take it seriously because up until then I was basically you know the materialist slash rationalist that's just uh, well you know we're all just you know molecules in the end <laughs> you know and yeah. the spiritual realm you know what is there to be found and I wasn't quite sure but uh, that first thing or the second one really uh, brought me onto that path. And that was also when I got invited to join for a trip to Colombia to do ayahuasca. Um, and that also got me on track to learn more about psychedelics and, and all of that. And of course, psychedelics are just like, you know, if, if the doors are shut, then the psychedelics are basically the key to opening uh, the spiritual realm. Um, and I started learning more about that and, and seeing that they can really induce this mystical experience on a reliable basis and that this is life-changing and profound, quite profound. Um, I got curious about that. I, I tried psychedelics. Um, I went to Colombia for the ayahuasca thing in the end. It took a while to get there, but we, we finally did. Um, hmm. So I think that sort of opened everything up. Uh, and now uh, when you fa fast forward a little bit, I would say... Um, Psychedelics are great as a as a tool to open things up, but they can also become a crutch, right? So, um, I realize that you know the the basic practice, things like daily meditation, yoga, that kind of thing, uh, the, just the basics uh, are as important as anything else. Maybe more important than anything else, uh, because uh, it's nice to have you know awakening experience and uh, uh, realize God consciousness and, and, and universal consciousness and. You know, all of that is beautiful, and I warmly recommend anybody interested listening to this. Like, oh, ooh, what's this? I'm curious. Or you know, what is he talking that, about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you hear that call, if you feel it inside you, then by all means, right, do it and, and go for it, and you'll find your way. There's many, many ways. Uh, you, you know, mm. um, but in the end, if you uh, use assisted therapy, if you will, uh, that all will take you very far and it will give you a glimpse of what, what is possible. Um, but in the end, you're going to have to do the actual work in your daily life. And that means, uh, yeah, having daily practice. So, yeah, uh, cleaning up your system, cleaning up your body, um, you know, becoming as light as possible, if you will. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of, of that right now uh, that I'm working on. Yeah. Very cool. That's very cool. Yeah, and to provide a, a little bit of commentary on that from my um, perspective, um, for me, one of the key words in this is um, is meaning. Is kind of for me the other side of the that what you described the rational molecule based <laughs> thinking, yeah. which yeah. is true, of course, um, and it has a. Uh, part that it doesn't cover which is kind of like your original question from your youth is like you're walking across a zebra crossing and you're like why am i here you know mm -hmm. and and um you know the the usual thing with the molecules and so on has more of this well it just so happened you're just a universal accident nothing matters if you're extreme about it and then um in the 
more uh, spiritual realm and maybe the mean the realm of meaning it's more like you can this uh, you can see you can feel that yeah how do i describe this that things have meaning that things are connected that mm -hmm. um it's i'm trying to explain it very plainly it would be like um it's it's very fun to be alive it's like mm -hmm. fun that things exist you can see all sorts of connections um yeah uh, and that that for me it's is beautiful the, gift. yeah it's sure. funny right it's, for me it's also it's, just so it's funny. incredible and it's such a so, joke right how yeah. how on earth did we get here <laughs> you know yeah. and yeah. and that's that's the amazing part of, of this whole experience and you're right on the one hand nothing matters inherently nothing matters and on the other hand everything matters so yeah. Uh, and and ultimately, this is something that we need to make a choice. You know, in our life, we need to make a choice. And if you take it to the extreme, then there is actually a choice between either nothing matters or everything matters, and there is actually not much in between. So, um, I'm not sure it, I understand. Oh no! Oh, this is Siri <laughs> telling you. <laughs> oh man! And this is also where AI comes in. <laughs> What? Oh yeah, baby, this is epic. Uh, well, Wonderful. Funny. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, love it. That was the voice of um our audience far and wide. I'm not yeah. sure I understand. <laughs> um with with this uh, uh cosmic little joke and note uh, that is uh, imbued upon us, I would suggest then let's take this time to bring it um bring it to the practical we got the basics down mm -hmm. what um so uh to bring it to maybe your 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 business or your work life or maybe your being and this is a uh, kind of recent news as far as i remember going back to be a co-ceo of paladin something must have worked right you're you have your energy back so this is very relevant mm -hmm. to you for you as a leader um as as a as a founder and owner and maker of a company and of games um what what worked here and what changed for you and what's what's how does this go into your business and so and so on and so on mm -hmm. so there's this thing called founder syndrome and uh, it happens to almost every founder um, I'm not saying this so that you, as a founder, you can, you know, work around it. It's just going to be part of your life. Um, but it's good to be aware of it, right? So if there's any founders listening, found, look it up, founder syndrome, it's, it's important. And basically what happens is you start as a founder and you do everything. And, you know, you, you hire your first people, you do the administration, you do the emails to the clients, you do sales, marketing, you do, you know, you clean up the, the toilet if you have to, you know, all of that stuff, you do everything. And then as you, you know, grow the team, you get to a certain point where it's like five or six or seven people <clears throat> and slowly um, it becomes too much to keep an eye on, right? So you, you can only handle so much people working for you. And as, as soon as you hit like 10, 12, maybe 15, um, that's the point where you're going to want to hire another manager. 
to keep track of everything and to to make sure that things are organized. And uh, that process sort of, you know, uh, process of growth keeps happening uh, the more you grow. And what happens is that the more you grow, the more you need to let go. But it's really hard to let go as a founder because it's your baby. It's, you know, imagine in my case, uh, I have all my net worth basically uh, locked up in the company. If the company goes bankrupt, my 17 years, well, right now it's a little different, but let's say, you know, 15 years, 14 years uh, of blood, sweat, and tears would basically go down the drain. And I would not be, um, yeah, I, I would just not have it would be a huge, huge setback because everything I invested in, in this thing. Um, so you become a little bit over-invested. You, um, you do the things that worked in the old days, right? Uh, when you were smaller. And so you constantly have to catch up with the, the state of the company as it is at that moment. You're usually a year or two behind, which is fine, but it's it's still a very big challenge. So the things I've learned is that uh, it is very important to learn about these growth curves and to figure out where am I currently in my growth cycle um, and how can I prepare for the next one. And there's usually, you know, there's a, a leadership crisis. There's, there's, you know, it's pretty well documented. Every company goes through the same shit. And we, for example, we have another company uh, that uh, I talk to regularly, and they're very similar to Paladin, very similar size. And that means that they literally have the same problems. They, like, one-on-one, -on -one, they have exactly the same problems. So, um they might struggle with HR. HR is overwhelmed, you know, and then we do too, you know? So it's like, or we're looking for a COO and they do too, you know, it's things like that. Uh, the solution. Oh, so you're living in synchronicity with this other company. Yeah, there's a little bit, there, there's, there is that, but it's also, um, I think in this case, it's actually quite extreme, <laughs> but, okay. um, well, but the, uh, uh, overall, you can say like, oh, there's patterns, right? There's patterns. And yeah. this is also part of that reality check that you need to keep doing. So one of the things is um, in terms of leadership is to, on the one hand, take full ownership over leadership, um, really take um, responsibility for everything you're doing and everything that your team is doing because it's happening on your watch, right? That's a difficult one to begin with, but then also to add to that, to give the team the freedom uh, to take ownership themselves. And that is such a paradoxical and difficult thing to, to balance and to figure out and, and to get straight in your own head and in, a, in your own heart, that it can be quite challenging. It was challenging for me. Um, so this is one thing. So this is about leadership. Mm -hmm. Another one is that um, we've, I mean, we've grown the company uh, in a bootstrap way. So we didn't have external uh, funding and that always meant we were strapped for cash because growth costs money, right? So that if you want to grow, it, there's an investment, you, you need to hire people, you need to buy the hardware, you need to, you know, set things up, train them, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, it takes time to get people up and running and therefore it costs money. So 
we were always short on cash and we were always like just barely hitting the next milestone and also meant that we were very lightweight in terms of the management structure so uh, at some point we had to let people go we hit about 60 people close to 60 then we went back to 35 and one of the things we did and i'm very grateful for that is that we said okay we're gonna keep the management layer intact because that will prepare us for the future so if we want to go to grow to 60 again um, then yeah we need to figure out how to do that and that means that we should have a management team to deal with the the whole organizational change uh, that's coming uh, so we kept that and we had about a year, maybe one and a half or two years where we just invested in the structures and, you know, things like salary scales, things like um, processes for performance reviews. A lot of it was re HR related, in fact. Um, and we just invested in that and now it's paying off. So there's a lot of uh, good things that came out of it. Um, what else? Um, vision. Yeah, man, vision is so important. If you would say like, uh, so ultimately, if you're if you have co-founders, super critical to sit down with them and to establish your vision for the future, five years, ten years. The, the timeline doesn't even matter that much. But where do you want to go? What's the direction? Do you want to grow big, or do you want to stay small? Do you want to do work for hire, or do you want to do your own games? Uh, what kind of games? Uh, what kind of platforms? Um, why are you doing this in the first place? What's your personal motivation, right? Mm -hmm. um, you'd be surprised what comes up because it's not always the obvious thing. And for some people, they just have to do it. For They can't not do it. But for others, entrepreneurship is a tool. And I think that's very healthy that entrepreneurship should be actually viewed as a tool. Um, and maybe also the last resort <laughs> to achieving something you cannot achieve any other way. Um, but getting that on the table and debate it and align on it with your co-founders, with your senior team, I think is critical because uh, if you have it, it takes some time. But if you have it, then it's a really good uh, yeah, foundation for, for the decisions you're going to be making uh, over the years. And this goes for culture as well. Um, and yeah, and and you know, one of the challenges I had related to vision was that uh, I mentioned in the beginning I was like, oh yeah, you know, I want to be a millionaire before thirty, and I want to have a studio that is thirty people. Well, first of all, the first goal was total bullshit because that's not in my control, and it was a monetary, a financial, a money goal, um, and of course that doesn't work. You know, it it caused a lot of trouble for me personally, I think, to have a goal like that. So I would highly recommend to find a goal that's not money, um, but to find your your purpose, your deeper meaning. Like what you just said, uh, Simon, it's, it's all about meaning in that uh, on that front. Um, what do you want to bring to the world? You know, why, why are you here? Why is this company here? Why should it exist? Um, and uh, but uh, but the other one was like, oh, 30 people, cool game development studio. Uh, and once I achieved that, uh, then I was lost because I, I just didn't know uh, what the next step would be. I, I didn't have a vision yet for the future. And it took me a long time to get there. And actually, um, uh, it took my old CEO to resign and me to go back, plus the ayahuasca trip to Colombia, in fact, to find that vision again. Um, 
by the way, ayahuasca is, is it's really funny because first 15 minutes, like, oh, oh, that's where you're, where you're here for. Okay, okay, this and this and this. Oh, okay. <laughs> and now we can get to the real work. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Anyway, but um, uh, so I finally figured that one out. So I got back with a clear vision for, for the studio. Uh, and we refined that together with the whole team. And, and we sort of, uh, yeah, now have, we're, we're in a place where we can clearly say, oh, this is a paladin game, you know? So maybe one more question. We could always question. feel that, but now we can put words into oh, it. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. no go, go for it. Yeah, I have one more question before. Um, I think Florian, I'm sure, has some questions, but maybe this is a good segue. I just thought of it. That's why I eagerly jumped in. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, no, that's fine. You said um, you went and um, found a new vision. Mm -hmm. And would you like to describe this, uh, this changed vision that's from, okay, I wanted to be a millionaire slash cool game studio with 30 people. Like what's yeah. a new vision that you would recommend, yeah. which also I think brings us firmly in, into the now and, and what Paladin is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, for a long time, I, I was struggling with this because, you know, games, making games, are you know, it's entertainment. It's like, does the world get better from this? I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but I realized that actually it is very much possible uh, to create games that have an impact on people. And if you have an impact on people, then it better be a positive impact. <laughs> so um, I came back um, and I, um, I think we did some iterations on it, but in the end we landed on a mission that statement that says uh, we create wholesome games that have a positive impact on people. And what we mean with that is not so much that we are going to be preachy about certain things. We're not going to, you know, solve world hunger or, you know, create world peace. That's not what it is. Um, but it could be that you laugh out loud when you play one of our games. It could be that you're sitting on a couch playing a game like Good Job that we did for Nintendo and that, that it strengthens your bond with your sibling or your friend. Um, so it... And we consider that a positive impact. And later, we also uh, refined it a little bit more. Um, it's uh, it's about creative play, so that's that's one component of it. Uh, and play is everything, you know. This it's all about play, um, and that's this is also true for my personal life. So uh, I'm very grateful that this is uh, yeah part of the the paladin. Uh, you know, vision or, or mission uh, for the games that we create. Um, they're also uplifting. So these games that we create are uplifting. And that, I think that's a beautiful word. Uh, wholesome is another word, but it's it's a bit, um, it's not tainted necessarily, but it's a bit colored, I would say. Uh, if you say wholesome games, that it has a certain connotation that it's mm -hmm. maybe too soft and, and squishy. We, we want it to be uplifting. Um, but you know we could still have uh, fights in it. I, I don't know, but uh, you know something that's that's uplifting. And um, the third pillar is uh, meaningful connections, creating uh, meaningful connections. So these are the three pillars that we later defined. Actually, uh, the game directors defined it um, to uh, support the the bigger mission. And uh, yeah, that's where we are today. Um, yeah. So. I'm also here today, <laughs> although I've been quite quiet. Uh, I'm, I had one, two moments where I wanted to jump in, but actually mm -hmm. 
uh, with your discussion or with your topics, I I found myself listening a lot and and not wanting to interrupt with something that didn't come out of your minds in a way because you had that conversation and and I really held myself back because I was thinking a lot about like very much internalizing what you were saying uh, so sorry if I'm if I was a bit hands off uh, although the uh, philosophical or um, Yeah, although this part is usually Simon's, but I'm I'm usually not that hands off with it. Um, but mm -hmm. one thing that I'm interested when you say that's where we are now is, of course, we had this 70, 17 years of development, <coughs> you leaving, you coming back. So uh, tell us, what is Paladin Studios now? How many people work there at the moment? Mm. That's a good question. So we have about 50 people, uh, five zero in the Netherlands. Um, mm -hmm. I'm currently co-CEO, so there's uh, there's another CEO together with me, Stein Damen, uh, who's been with the company for 10 years um, and uh, started as an intern, by the way. <laughs> so that's pretty cool, pretty cool growth mm -hmm. curve. Um, and then we also have a studio in Poland uh, called Stormbound Games, and that is a 10-person studio. That, and that's focused on the game Stormbound, which is uh, uh, originally created by Paladin, but we spun it off into a separate Uh, studio just to make sure that uh, you know we don't mix these things too much because it's a slightly different vibe in terms of the the kind of game that we uh, uh, yeah I, I remember creates. isn't so, that I think I think that could be the game because I had two or three touching points with Paladin Studios over my uh, career and I think uh -huh. Stormbound was the game that you showed at Indie Arena booth in 2017 when I was working there yeah could that yeah, be very very uh, yeah very much possible I think so yeah We were there, yeah. yeah, yeah, cool. It's a collectible card game. Yeah, go check it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> it, games that were in that year's collection. I did the press uh, work and and uh, a lot of showing people oh, yeah. around the booth, nice. and so I had to memorize many of the games. So, cool. yeah, games that were in that collection, I usually remember to some degree. Cool. Um, so, as like this. This story, I mean, it's interesting, first of all, that your studio has been going on for so long, especially mm -hmm. with this kind of, I mean, your personal entanglement as one of the founders obviously plays a huge role in, in the history of the studio. And I find it very impressive that we are sitting here today, basically, and the studio is, is still alive. In, in that regard, it changed over time. Mm -hmm. You went into the whole uh, downsizing and then um, hiring people again. But mm -hmm. um, to come back a little bit still to this, to, to the emotional side of it, but, but I think that's very important also in, in showing success stories. How did this impact you, like this, this journey of, um, starting out and it, it being a success then having uh, throwbacks maybe stuff that that brought you down like specifically how do you deal with this kind of um these setbacks or or um um yeah, yeah. this kind of uh, from a business perspective so uh there's two parts of it i think so from a personal perspective which is also very important um 
the thing that I did that I think has the most impact is that I made peace with the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. So I, I would, there were many times when we would almost go bankrupt and I would basically be very afraid of it, very afraid. Um, and what you do, what your in, intuition does, if you're afraid of something is you try to avoid it, right? But it also means you don't want to think about it. You don't want to look it into the eyes. And at some point I sat down and said, okay, I need to now, you know, look it in the eyes. So I went through a mental process of going through the bankruptcy. What does it entail? Of course, I didn't know the details. That was not the point, but just doing the paperwork, firing everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. wrapping things up packing my bags, packing the stuff that, you know, packing the, the office, selling the, the items, all of that stuff, and then going back and then what, you know? And then I figured, okay, well, I could get a job at Starbucks, you know? And I realized mm-hmm. that, oh, wait a minute. Actually, you know, I could, I could get a job at Starbucks and I wouldn't have to leave my home because I was living in a very cheap apartment, like 400 euros a, uh, a month in rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, together with my partner, we I knew we would survive, right? I wasn't going to die. Sure, my reputation would be gone. Uh, my uh, sense of my ego would be shattered. <laughs> but that mm-hmm. felt strangely liberating as well. So yes. when I looked that into the eyes, I was like, oh, the worst case scenario is not that bad. And uh, I think that helped me to deal with a lot of the really tough times that were uh, happening. So that was the personal note. Um, strategically on a business side, we always found the balance between adapt- adaptation um, and sticking to our vision and our, our, our you know core values. Um, so that's that's part of it the other part is that we i think we were fairly risk averse at all times so we never bet the bet the farm on anything mm-hmm. um and there there's always you know with work for hire um there's always this um you're at the mercy of your clients right so you always have to hunt for the next project if the next project comes then fantastic you know you can pop the champagne new project but then you have to actually deliver it right and usually that means Mm -hmm. uh that you know you have to grow you have to open vacancies you have to build another team and then when that project is done uh then suddenly yeah the team is out of work and then what are you going to do yeah you're going to chase the next one so it's this constant rat race of you know trying to find new clients and new projects um so we always try to make sure that you know, we had a backup plan. So um, I would go to about 10 trade shows a year just to pitch, mm-hmm. just to stay in touch with the industry, just to get any new RFPs, all of that. Um, and I really put a lot of effort into the sales process. Um, even if we didn't necessarily need it, uh, then we would still go out. Um and slowly over time, you build up a reputation, right? And then it gets easier to sell new projects because they know, oh, these guys, Paladin, they're good. They're, they will deliver. We, we don't have to worry about the quality. We don't have to worry about a lot of things that some other studios might be uh, a little bit more challenging. And um, so that really helps us. And also another thing that I did strategically is to 
um, try and get royalties into the contracts because mm -hmm. that way, even though the hourly rate is a little bit lower, um, you do have an upside. So if there's a hit game, um, then you can uh, get royalties. And even if it's not a hit game, then the royalties still add up, right? If you have yes. four, five, six games all generating a couple thousand euros a month, then that's still uh, a significant chunk. It, it takes off the pressure a little bit from uh, from the whole uh, work for hire. Um, so yeah, and of course, if you have a hit game and you have some royalties, then uh, yeah, that's fantastic. That's uh, a game changer in a way. Mm -hmm. That leads me to a question or or a point uh, that we can also look into from two different angles, which is you as the founder or as the um, owner of the business uh, have mm -hmm. to make the strategic decisions. And I, I think, uh, of course, you come to this point. Uh, it's It's very important, uh, I think, for your personal life to come to this point where you... I don't want to say you're not afraid of anything anymore, but you are aware of what it entails for you personally and mm -hmm. that you are fine with the consequences of however <clears throat> things go. I think this is very important, yeah. but with yeah. Yeah, owning this a is business... This where spiritual that, practice comes in. Yeah, yeah. With yeah. owning a business and employing people, you add a layer on top of this, which mm -hmm. often lets people shy away from this decision or even when they've made this decision, sort of like falling into like uh, the old routine stasis yeah. or trap mm -hmm. of like having now mm -hmm. this sword hanging over them saying, oh, it's not only about myself, but it's only now I'm deciding for other people as well. Yeah, for sure. So this would interest me in how you how you dealt with that and how you communicate with your staff uh, or your your uh, colleagues about this. And then mm -hmm. from the angle of um, of the royalties, do you also have any kind of participation in terms of royalties or in terms of the success of the projects for your uh, team members? Okay, so to begin with the last one, we don't have that yet, but we do have a bonus uh, pool that we uh, there's sort of a profit share. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's there's that, um, and we're gonna set up a participation uh, participation plan this uh, year. So it's uh, it's coming. Mm -hmm. Then when it comes to the other question, how do you? Yeah, basically, how do you carry the weight of of this this whole company, yeah. right? And the answer is you don't. Um, there's so much out of your control as a leader that it's just uh, impossible. So you need to take on full ownership over uh, the things that are in your control. And th mm -hmm. it's just, uh, yeah, uh, th that already is a huge burden and it's plenty to work with. Um, yeah. You know, it's your own behavior. How do you respond to certain situations? All of that stuff is uh, critical. But that if you put your focus there, then at least you can do something about it if something goes wrong. And um, so I do not have control over whether a client says yes or no to a project. Um, mm -hmm. Of course, we have, uh, you know, we can influence it, right? So the control I have is over, is the pitch any good? Um, are the people on it? Uh, are they the right people for this game? All of that stuff, um, you know, that's, that's the stuff that I have control over. So that's what I focus on. And then... Um, 
yeah, it requires a certain trust that the universe will take care of itself, you know, and also <laughs> that people, even if they have to go for whatever reason, or if they want to go for whatever reason, that that is usually okay. It's going to work mm -hmm. out fine, you know. Um, and if you have good intentions and, and you, you know, you don't fool yourself, um, then then I think it's it's okay. It's usually uh, it, it, people and, and things land on their feet. Um, mm -hmm. But it's tough and it's not easy and it's not for everyone. This is a big reason why my co-founder left because he uh, was just, uh, yeah, the burden of, of running this studio and, and having this team. We were, I think we were seven people uh, at that time. Uh, and not knowing whether uh, we could pay the bills and pay the salaries uh, next month, um, yeah, he was just like, I don't, I don't want this in my life. I yes. want the freedom. So he went back to going uh, and be a freelancer, and that has worked out super well for him. And he's done amazing things uh, in in that mode. So uh, you know, it's not for everybody, and that's just, uh, and and I I can't help myself in that in that sense. I mm -hmm. I just. Uh, yeah, I want to build things, you know. I, I want to, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, uh, or I used to be. I'm no longer uh, that much, but I used to be this this empire builder kind of person that just wants to build uh, something that lasts, basically. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, this compulsion is something that uh, many founders basically have, as, as you mentioned before, that. Maybe you come to the point where, well, I cannot reach whatever goals I want anywhere else, so I have to do it myself. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I think that is where where many people finally take the step or, um, yeah, make the decision to to do that. And um, yeah, also, I think that's a very very vital way of approaching the problem what you said with like influencing the things that you are in control of and worrying about that yeah. and uh, having that other side like just letting it go and and understanding that it is beyond what you can do mm -hmm. what i wanted to to come to is you mentioned it um already throughout the conversation your sales process so you do a lot of work for hire mm -hmm. and um, when you go to your website there's all the ips you've been working with and uh, what interests me i think and and what uh, will interest uh, listeners maybe is there are quite a few uh, big stakeholders in the games that you've developed um, yep. For example, you mentioned it, Nintendo is one of them, now the mm -hmm. new game with Netflix. So mm -hmm. how do you gain sort of like an open door or how do you get people to listen to you and how do you even approach these businesses in trusting you with their licenses? Um Honestly, I think it, it's uh, it has a mostly to do with portfolio and reputation. So mm -hmm. um, the ball got rolling for us when we created a game called Momonga Pinball Adventures. This was a self-published, self-funded, self-developed A to Z Paladin game all the way, indie. 
basically. And yep. pulling that off and just working on it and blogging about it and, and showing it to the world in the end has, you know, basically led to, uh, you know, it, it was this moment in, 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 uh, at a conference in the UK where I developed Brighton, where uh, we were part of the showcase there. So I was standing there with my little iPad and, you know, just showing the game. And then there was this little group of Japanese people that came by and they saw the game and they loved it. And they were like, oh man, we're looking for a developer to work with. We would love to work with you. And this was mm -hmm. DNA uh, back then, one of the bigger mobile game publishers uh, in the world, Japan specifically. Um, and I think, Two months later, three months later, we started working on, on the project with them. That was a lucky, that was super lucky. You know, without that, yeah. Paladin would probably not exist. So without Momonga, we wouldn't exist. But without yeah. showing that you can do something like that, um, it's going to be very hard to convince these kind of people to, uh, yeah, to, to work with you. So it, it really comes down to portfolio and experience in that sense. Uh, and then, you know, you start working with DNA and then Bandai Namco comes along and then suddenly you have two Japanese publishers. And then, you know, I've been talking to Nintendo for 10 years, never worked out <laughs> the pitch after pitch, after pitch, after pitch, after pitch, after yes. pitch, um, became good friends with them in the meantime, but, uh, still, you know, uh, they, uh, they have a certain way of looking at things. Right. And then it just so happened that the stars aligned. I made a proposal that they accepted and then, we were able to make a demo and and yeah uh, they greenlit uh, the thing and that that was based on the executive executives having a good time playing that demo <laughs> you know laughing mm -hmm. out loud playing the demo and that's their <laughs> process okay you know so that's that's one of those things where uh, you cannot really turn that into one bite-sized oh you should do this the only thing that i i can definitely uh, give as a piece of advice is to get out there, show your stuff, yes, show your face, talk to people. You will get smarter. You will be inspired. They will know you, and you want to be one of the regulars. You know that's just where you want to be. And if that's the case, uh, then uh, you know maybe after ten times talking to somebody, they will finally say, "Hey, yeah, we got this." I've been talking to Zeptolab for. I think it was five years. And remember, mm -hmm. I did 10 trade shows per year, you know, so that's yes, probably, yes. well, they were not at every trade show, but probably 20, 30 touch points with, uh, with the, the, the contact there. And uh, it never worked out. But right before he left, the last project, uh, uh, no, no, that was, uh, no, that was a different one. I think he left, but then, um, I don't know, he left. Maybe not left right after, but we we were regulars, you know. We were mm -hmm. uh, the party they would go to. So when Apple Arcade asked Septolab to create Cut the Rope Remastered for Apple Arcade, they were like, "Oh, this sounds amazing, but we don't have the capacity. Do we know a studio that could do this?" And he was like, "Oh, yeah, of course, Paladin. Let's give him a call." And then before you know it, we're uh, we're doing Cut the Rope Remastered, and and it turns out to be a hit game. So that really, uh, it's all of those little interactions combined that that move uh, mountains yeah and, and i think you summarized the takeaways pretty well spot on what i would have then sort of distilled out of what you said that visit the trade shows talk to the yeah. people i mean in general business development you know having enough touch points 
just letting people know, hey, we're still here. Uh, mm -hmm. I can also remember uh, being in a pitch with Nintendo and it was completely like nothing nothing to write home about. It, it was, well, your games look interesting, but we're looking for this. And uh, yep. uh, uh, so maybe at a later point, and now I don't work in development anymore or for that studio, so... At this point, it doesn't really matter, but just being able to be in that situation, it just came from being at a convention, having a booth there, having an open slot in the matchmaking system, just, yep, just exactly. giving yourself the chance to yep. having that conversation. And if it doesn't work this time, then then it might happen next time or the time after. So it's, it's a just consistency going, right? issue as well, I think. Oh yeah, absolutely. And they are all looking for the next great partner to work with. They are all looking yeah. for you, you know. But you got to be ready and you got to be there to show up. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the trick. And can we talk about the amazing power of friendship? Oh yeah. Question uh, mark. Man. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, things shifted for me as well when I decided, hey, I'm not just going to go to conferences, but I'm also going to focus on building friendship and uh, Stephen, you mentioned Stephen lee last time he was on your podcast really good friend of mine um he's such a great guy right he's such a good uh, good friend one of the most social people i know and um you know building that friendship with him but also with others uh it's just enriched the whole experience of going to a conference um so what we now do actually is we also uh, spend some time um with friends in a cabin in the woods before or after a trade show. And then we go hiking or whatever, you know, we just do fun stuff. And that is turning out to be, uh, yeah, one of the blessings actually of, of uh, doing this because yeah, ultimately the friendships will, will last no matter which company you're with, no matter, you know, uh, what you're doing uh, and how well things are going, you know, it's, uh, these friendships are, are extremely, uh, Yeah, I was going to say powerful, but I think that's not the word for it. It's more like uh, rewarding. I, th I would say that's rewarding, uh, nourishing, and nourishing. You have yeah. these, right? You you have this these things that are. So what you're describing is kind of like you have this crew, right? I mean, I saw pictures on Facebook the other day where, where you guys were yeah. at a football game or something, right? Yeah, that's correct. So, yeah. <laughs> and. Um, yeah. And so it's like, ah, that's nice. I talked to Steven the yeah. other day. I know Rebecca. Totally. I've, uh, I'm going to talk to Dirk next week, you know? And I'm like, ah, sick. Okay. Yeah. That's the crew, you know? And and yeah. I used to have this too when I was doing Twitch, you know? I was, and for me, that's also very important. Just as you have these concentric circles of focus, so you can do yeah. the triage basically for your business, you can, and, and for yourself, you can say what's important, what isn't. What do I focus on? What do I don't? What's under my control? What do I don't? What, what isn't, then you have like these concentric circles um, where you kind of want to try to mostly stay in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, with friendships, it's a bit different, but you have, for me, my life changed when I found out about different types of relationships, of friendships as well, where they're like the core core, my crew, you know, that's yep. like, I they're not in the same business. They're basically all over the world. We're always mm -hmm. on discord and stuff but we see each other and these are my people that help me like these are the pillars of my life you know and yeah. and they are really essential i can tell them everything i have no downside you know this is just 
pure love basically and then sure, yeah. in the industry like you kind of described the nintendo scenario where you do 10 years of meetings with nintendo but and then you're like friends with nintendo it's probably not your crew you're like more acquaintances you're like buddies but the 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 strength of friendship is in there too you have trust you know your face oh, yeah maybe it's, you've gone through yeah. a difficult situation together yeah for sure and and again you know these are all just people looking you know for for something nice and they they want to uh, they want to hang out at some point right i mean i remember clearly it was beautiful e3 and I ended up with uh, with some people, including Tim from Nintendo, on uh, a beach uh, in Santa Monica in LA uh, under a starry night with a, with a bottle of wine, and it was just wonderful. You know, it was really really nice. And um, you know, it, it, a couple of months after uh, we uh, we signed the, uh, the 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 deal for a good job. Now, are those two related? Actually, they're not, <laughs> but it's. <laughs> still not a not necessarily a coincidence you know because you get to know each other and if you know each other and, and this especially with with a company like nintendo they they're japanese they're traditional japanese right they operate on trust and respect and their contract for example is just it's poetry it's simple it's beautiful it's to the point and it's based on trust and the, they can make that contract so simple because they are extremely careful with who they work with. Oh. So, yeah, and this this is really something. And uh, the, I think, I mean, Nintendo is a very special company. I, I, uh, I uh, yeah, they are different. They are built different, you know. But <laughs> um, they are built different. But but, but in the way, uh, you know. It's the personal relationship that matters in that regard, and I, I got to be honest, right? I'm not, um, I'm not the best with this uh, because I have such a busy life, and I have so many people uh, that I know. I cannot catch up with everybody and keep track of everybody, mm -hmm. and, and I'm not on social media a whole lot, and I'm not the person, the kind of person that just grabs the phone and 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 you know, uh, pl places a call to just catch up with someone. I, 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 that's not in my system. It's, it's not something I, I do. But also the interactions I do have are genuine. They are authentic. And I, I, there's genuine love, you know, for everybody I, I meet at a conference. And I think people feel that and they resonate with it, uh, you know, I'm a hugger, so I hug a whole bunch of people. I I think it, it it's probably a hundred people every trade show, <laughs> and um, you know I just love it. You know I love their stories. I love how how inspiring it is, and I love seeing these people make moves. You know, and then their business is growing, and suddenly they have seventy people, and it's like yeah, you see the big smile on their face, and it's just wonderful. I love it. You know, and I love it when people are successful. So uh, you know. Uh, and that and that's not because I want something from it, right? It's just from yeah. love, mm -hmm. really, really pure love. Yeah. And for me, that's also key. I, I kind of wanted to ask you. Okay, so now we, we talked a bit about the practical stuff as well. Maybe it, and you you said as kind of a side note earlier. Oh, and that's where the spiritual practice comes in. And for me, that that was also that was my business too, right? Was like being making friends with people, being being in touch earnestly. Yeah rooting for everybody for me that's also huge spiritual practice is just oh, having yeah. love for people and not wanting anything right yeah 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, no, are it, there it are other points in the in the story that we just kind of told where you're like, okay, but look, this is actually practice in a way. Yeah, it, it, I mean, a lot of it is spiritual practice in a way, right? So, uh, yeah, clean up your shit, clean up your body, clean up your your habits, clean up your uh, relationships, clean up everything, and and that is spiritual right. practice. It's right. it's that's the hardcore thing, right? It's <laughs> it's not it's not something that's floaty or or woo woo. Um, you know, you don't have to burn incense for it. Uh, you yeah. just need to do the work. Uh, the instance is just but some nice. ayahuasca helps. <laughs> well, <laughs> ayahuasca shows you the relationships and it shows you your own shit in your own life and it helps you to clean your body. So it does help. But of course, you know, uh, ayahuasca also gives you homework and the homework <laughs> is what really matters. So, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, this brings up an interesting point where we will also segue to another topic that I wanted to come to anyway. But um, I hope this goes the way I, I I would like it to. What do you say to people? Because I think exactly this is how these kind of relationships grow and, and go along. Um, and I can completely relate to this whole, oh, there's so many people I would need to catch up to and, and it's really hard. And uh, on the one side, I see it as part of my job. On the other side, there's really people I'm I'm genuinely interested in and, and I get joy from meeting them. Um, mm -hmm. So I can, I can relate to this, like um, wanting the connections to be real and, and uh, um, be meaningful a word that we used um, a lot today as well. Mm -hmm. What do you say on the other hand to people who actually believe, and this is a critical point, that mm -hmm. the games industry is sort of a closed shop. It, uh, yeah. it purports uh, having relationships and leaning on those to get along versus being open and, and like, diverse in a way and and letting people in there i often get uh converse into conversations or hear this point that you cannot move along in the games industry if you if you don't have these kind of connections um mm -hmm. so i mean in this case you and me and simon we are people who who live in this kind of world and 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 move in this kind of way and circle that we build relationships part of because it's our job but also we we see like just the personal benefit and the and the job comes along with it but do you get these uh people who say maybe that is also hindering other people mm. <sighs> it's a tough one um the thing is they're right you know um but it doesn't apply to the whole of the game industry. It's such a big mm -hmm. industry and it's such a diverse industry in that sense. Um, so it depends, you know, it, it, the only thing that I do want to reflect on is that if this is the way you see it, then that is the way it will be. Mm -hmm. So if you see it as this place where it's a walled garden, you can't get in, um, you know, you need to have connections to get ahead. And then that implies, of course, you need to use those connections to get ahead. Yes. 
uh, then yeah, there will be a lot of resistance and, and there's not a lot of doors that will open for you. And if they do, they might be the wrong doors because mm -hmm. yeah, there's, there's uh, some folks out there as well that will use you. Uh, yes. If that's the way you believe the world works, they, they will take advantage of that. So I, my suggestion for people that struggle with this is to, first of all, be patient. Uh, second, um, focus on establishing real connections and real friendships. Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be with a lot of people, but just a couple. It will will suffice, you know. Um, third, get out there and show your face and talk to people and, you know, try to help them, right? This is a good way of thinking about it. Networking is not about, oh, what can you do for me? No, it's about yes. what can I do for you? That is the best way to network. And then, uh, you know, I'll be honest, I... Uh, I think it was probably 12 years ago, my first Gamescom. Yeah, I think it was like something around it, maybe more, maybe 15 years, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it was in uh, in Leipzig still. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Long time, a long time back. And uh, the we didn't have a clue what was happening. And we went there with a bus, and it was a group of uh, developers. We had a blast. We I made some really good friends there. Um, but the show itself, oh man, I just saw these big wide walls and, you know, you, you go to the reception of a big company and they're like, and you're like, Hey, can I get a meeting? Like, no, <laughs> fully booked. <laughs> um, so you, uh, that is really discouraging. Right. But, yep. uh, and actually the first three, four gamescoms were like that <laughs> for me, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I also made friends and there was this local group of people, the Dutch folks that were open to talking to me because we were Dutch, right? Uh, so that's a yeah. good starting point and just start local. And then um, yeah, I made some friends there and I sort of got the hang of it after five, six years. <laughs> it took a while. It doesn't need to take that long, but uh, yeah. What I wanted to say is it comes down to being a regular, right? If you go to a mm -hmm. random bar, yeah. Uh, at the corner of the street uh, and you walk in, you're like, oh man, I'm a stranger here, you know? And then the yeah. second time and the third time and the fourth time and the fifth time, you're still a stranger. You're still the new guy. But the seventh time, the 10th time, the 20th time, you're not the new guy. You're the regular. And then you're... Yeah. Gonna and and I have to, a very yeah. important comment on this. It just takes two times, in my opinion. That's usually why for this podcast, yeah. we do pre-interviews. Um, yeah. which you denied us. Thank you very much. No, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, and so, but look, we already met one time before and it's exactly infinitely yeah. easier. It's only yeah. the first time that's really hard. And the second time is like, oh, aren't you the guy that, huh? People remember you if you're yeah. like reasonably truthful and expressive. Sorry for jumping in, but for me, it really no, only takes you're absolutely right. yeah. one time where you have a conversation and then you have the second conversation. And by that time you have a, memory image in your mind and the other person of you yeah. and then they know you and you know them and you have a little story yeah. about each other that you can uh, expand on two times my yep. friends two times yeah all it takes yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and i think sure. and i think what adds to this is it also wasn't easy for you or no, for no, or for other people who are at a at the yeah. point that they are now and and I think that's that's also mm -hmm. what what does not factor into this way of thinking is that yes sure you see that person now 
in that position that they're in after, in your case, 17 years. Um, yeah. You see them having this connection. You see them saying, oh, I'm friends with Nintendo. You But the way to that point is years and years. And as you mentioned in that specific case, 10, 12, I don't know how many times when it didn't work out or that were there mm -hmm. to build a relationship. And it it boils down to not seeing is as it as that transactional thing where here yes. I want something or I give something in terms of the business or value or whatever, but it's like just really building relationships and that just takes time. So you cannot expect to just come to a door that is open for you. That is just not how the world yeah. works. No, no, correct. And, it, and the more you see it like that, the more it's going to be like that. You know, that's yeah. just... Uh, But what I like... Uh, ooh, yeah. ooh, ooh, everybody has something to say. No, yeah, um, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I want to answer your original question, Florian, and then you can, you can round yeah. it out. Your question was, what, what is... That's what Derek just answered to us. Like, what, what if people see it that way, right? And then, of course, Derek has said it five times already, and it can't be said enough. If you see it that way, it's going to happen. That's spiritual practice 101. Mm -hmm. You know, you mm -hmm. can mm -hmm. kind of just believe the other thing. Just believe that people like you. It's not that simple, Go but in I highly room. recommend it. Intention yeah. is to make friends. It's a completely mm -hmm. different thing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And like, b believe you will find the person that are good for you. You might not make friends with the famous yeah. guy or girl, yeah. but they might not even like you and you might not like them. So you'll find, you know, another nerd like you just to, uh, just to stereotypize a bit if, if you're feeling a bit shy or something. And, but that's, the, that's the connection you actually meet. And it goes one by one. Yeah. And what I also really want, wanted to say is, um, what did I really want to say? <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> wait a minute believe that it's possible yeah no totally forgot sorry maybe i'll get back to it yeah, i'm sure Fun. you're gonna right. you're gonna remember i'm sure you <laughs> remember in a minute yeah well uh, i'll just move to the next point and then you just you just jump right. in whenever you <laughs> come up with it again so what i actually like and what i think Is the coin uh, the, the the flip side of the coin, <laughs> the coin side mm -hmm. of the flip, uh, <laughs> is that um, you are actually part of a collective of investors uh, investing yes. in Dutch projects, which is called Midgame Fund. We talked Correct. to yeah. Fedor uh, at at one point, I think episode six or something of this podcast, uh, if I cool. remember correctly, or maybe earlier, who is also connected to this but since it's been yeah. almost two years i think when that happened it's it's cool to bring it up again um mm -hmm. that is the flip side where you specifically uh, in i want to frame it and then you tell me if it's correct mm -hmm. um you are a collective that's actually how it's described of investors so that means that you found yourself together and it's i think mostly industry people who've had mm -hmm. a certain amount of success mm -hmm. and you specifically choose dutch projects that you invest in and it says uh, under favorable terms meaning yeah. that you're actually levering leveraging your connections that you had and your success to help others who are newer or who are less experienced who are looking to have their break yeah correct 
Yeah, and it's also sometimes really experienced uh, com companies or people, studios, small studios usually. But uh, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, this is a model that works for everybody. You know, classic win-win, mm -hmm. as they say, and yeah. uh, it's it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it, it's this way; it's a lot easier for uh, studios and developers to yeah, get that initial funding going. And um, for us as investors, it's a way to first of all give back to the community, but also with a bit of luck, uh, have some profit on on uh, on our hands as well. Um, it's uh, capped to. Uh, I don't know. I think it's five X of the investment, and you know, there's like it's, like it says on the website, it is favorable towards the developer. So, um, yeah, we'll uh, hopefully have a couple of lucky breaks. Uh, but if not, then you know that's what it is. So it's uh, mm. it's really uh, yeah, it's and it's nice because this way we uh, we get to see what's new and hot in in the industry. Uh, we stay in touch. And uh, yeah, we get to fund the the coolest and the best projects. So, yeah, what more can you wish for? It's uh, it's really nice. And how did this collective come about? Like, was there was that also a process over a long time, or was there a moment when somebody initiated this? How how did this start? Yeah, yeah, it, it was initiated by Adrian de Jong, who is uh, mm -hmm. also a very uh, successful indie developer from the Netherlands, and he. Uh, was I think he was also part of what's called the hmm, Indie Pub Fund, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And yep. uh, this is a fund that is run by yeah worldwide super renowned indie developers uh, that are funding uh, in a similar way. Um, the only uh, challenge he found with that, or or that that he felt was. Uh, uh, a bit of a shame is that it was really, really hard to get in and to get something funded. Um, and it's in part also because of the terms of it. There's a very limited uh, cap on the return that the, the fund receives. So that means that the re potential return is quite low. It also means that the risk appetite is lower than usual. So usually the, the projects that get funded through that and I, I don't, I'm not in it, so I don't, I cannot mm -hmm. vouch for it. I, but I've heard that it's usually a little bit later stage. And we wanted to create something that's uh, suitable for smaller projects um, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of small Dutch indies that are really, uh, yeah, just two people or one person. Uh, and they need maybe 30K or 50K or 150K. Um, uh, yeah, that's too small for something like the Indie Pub Fund, but it's definitely uh, there is a market for it, if you will. And um, we also wanted to have a setup where we could take a little bit more risk. So in instead of the two x cap, we have a five x cap. So that means that you know we we can afford to fail a couple of times before we hit something uh, good. And uh, yeah, that's the mid game fund. So it's uh, it's quite a nice uh, setup. Mm. And uh can you give a very brief overview of what you would consider favorable terms is that something that you are open to discussing uh, i think i can um now well adrian and, and martina might uh, kill me for <laughs> for for saying this in public the problem is i don't know the terms exactly because I, I, mm -hmm. I i haven't it's been a while since i looked into it but i believe 
um, that uh, we grant a loan and the mm -hmm. loan is repaid based on the revenue. So uh, mm -hmm. if there's no revenue, there's no repayment. So that's the first pretty favorable term. Then um, I think the first, uh, until recoup, until we recoup, uh, I think 80% goes to the investors, 20% to the developer. So there's immediately already some uh yeah. some revenue coming for the developer even though they already got the the grant the, the loan and yeah. once we hit recoup then that flips to 80 percent for the developer 20 percent for the investors so uh, that's quite favorable means that um you know uh yeah it it, it, it takes a huge <laughs> hit game <laughs> to uh to make a 5x and then the cap is also yeah. 5x so i think that's uh that's the basic terms um yeah yeah, th so, that, that's enough. I, I think that's that's uh, j just uh, just as a rough uh, thing. How long has the uh, mid game fund been going, and have there already been any success stories? I think it's been going for about three years, maybe three and a uh -huh. half years. And preparations were on a, on its way longer than that, but uh, we launched I think three years ago. Um, we have, I believe, a handful of games funded. It's probably five or six by now. And none of them have launched yet. So we're, we're still waiting ah. for the first to hit the market. Uh, and then I can tell you if it's a success <laughs> or not. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, the funding alone in and of itself is already uh, yeah, quite successful, I'd say. Sweet. Yeah, yeah, that's the stuff I, I wanted to end on with the, with the usual questions or with a, a topic topical questions and um, to round out each episode we have something that is called our essential questions and to start us off I'll give over to Simon for this thank you for the mic uh, I'll have you know as a note in between that I remembered what I wanted to say earlier ah yes and of um, it, maybe to not make it a, a huge topic now but you know I think all industries <laughs> our relationships anyway and to have a mm -hmm. true success in any industry like to complain about uh, everything is relationships is like pretty futile because everything is relationships yeah. uh, i think mm -hmm. that that was wanted uh, want to be my my sobering case um it's about and, trust uh, right it's yeah. about trust yeah. if you want to work with someone you got to trust them uh, so how do you get there well it's it's not your portfolio it's it's well it's not just your portfolio it's also you know knowing you and, and engaging with you humaning being yes human being nice playing people. the human game yeah, yeah. <laughs> humaning around yeah 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 big fan of that big fan of that yeah, yeah so if, if anybody podcast for humans that, yeah <laughs> podcast for humans humans and games you know this all goes very well together and <laughs> and i think if there's a huge uh complainant on this then 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 that's a good maybe also maybe a great uh, wall that's that one is hitting and that one can improve because being good at relationships is a game that can be improved it's very difficult but it's very possible For sure um yeah let's see i would suggest we go through the essential questions see what we got we can do kind of quick fire if you want to say more say more Mm -hmm. And then maybe after we can we can wrap it all up. We have a cool, I think, um, many many dimensional conversation here, and um, maybe you can give us some final words after. But first of all, essential yeah. questions. 
Mm-hmm. Number one, what inspires you? So um, it's a lot, but I, I would say it's it's things like music, nature, you know, building a campfire, traveling around. Uh, I just bought a, uh, a camper van, so I'm looking forward to traveling around in that. Um, but also people, you know, people talking to people like we just talked about with relationships. Um, so I, I'd say that's the that's the short list. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Maybe a familiar question. What is the purpose of your being? Yeah, honestly, I'm I'm figuring that out. <laughs> And um, yeah, it, it, it's hard to answer that definitively. So I, I would say uh, the purpose of my being currently is to figure out the purpose of my being. Let's put it that way. <laughs> great. <laughs> Very great. Um, The universe witnessing itself. It's very mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> what's a beautiful day to you? Um, yeah, time spent with good people. I would say that's uh, that's the main thing. But I also, or and I also love just making music. You know, just uh, being in my home studio making music playing the guitar or making some, you know, track uh, in some way. So that's, uh, I would say that's it. Um, traveling, I really enjoy traveling, even after all this travel, still do. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's, uh, that's a beautiful day to me. A little bit of everything. What is the change you want to see in the world? I would say that the change I would love to see is that people become aware or perhaps more aware of their full potential as human beings. And how do you contribute to that? So... First, I think uh, by talking about this stuff, um, you probably notice that I'm pretty open <laughs> about the sticky topics like spirituality. <laughs> It's like, um, so I'm fairly open about it. Uh, and I, I would say the, those words and the conversations is probably the main um, contribution that I have at this moment. Um, of course, you know, Uh, the, the company, uh, something like Paladin, or, but also the Dutch Games Association or, or Stormbound. Um, yeah, I, I love to create organizations or ecosystems where creative people thrive. And um, I believe that creativity is the key or one of the keys to really uh, affect change. It is through art that we understand and process the world. And it is also through art that we can shift the way we see things. So art is pretty important there. And in that light also in the future, what I hope or what I intend is uh, to uh, create more art. So that's one thing. And to have more conversations. <laughs> and uh, yeah, to just uh, 
be out there and yeah, we'll see where that takes me. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, here's a question. If you would start a new safe game in your life right now, what occupation would your new character have? Uh, this, this new character is probably a creator in the broadest sense. So a musician or artist or a writer, um, probably also coach or a mentor. Um, so um, right now I'm more like running a business, uh, management, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, I think that's, a, it's a beautiful profession and, and I uh, enjoy many parts of it. Uh, however, I would say uh, the creative part uh, needs a bit of love <laughs> right now. So I would move towards that. So rather than, you know, being King Arthur, I, I would be more like Merlin the wizard, I guess. <laughs> nice, nice. And last question from me. Do you have books that you often recommend or that really had a great impact on you uh, or that you'd like to give to people? could give a top three if you wanted. Yeah. Um, so one book that I uh, read a lot and uh, recommend a lot is Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Mm. As maybe you're familiar with it. It's a Stoic philosophy book. Marcus Aurelius was an emperor, Roman emperor, and he wrote in his journal, uh, private journal, And uh, on his deathbed, he ordered the destruction of that journal, but they kept it alive. So uh, it's a, a peek into uh, his thoughts. And uh, yeah, his way of thinking is, is incredible. So uh, highly recommended. Uh, the second book, I would go for Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse. I think it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful book. Um, yeah, about uh, the Buddha, essentially. Um, yeah, warmly recommended. And last but not least, this is more feet on the ground again. Uh, it's a book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. Uh, he's a an ex-Navy SEAL, and he talks about, about leadership, or he writes about leadership. And by the way, this audiobook is great because this guy is this Navy SEAL, and he's like, he's talking like this, and I'm in the trenches, and it's like, it, it's like, wow, awesome. <laughs> it's really cool. So Extreme <laughs> Ownership by Jocko Willink. Uh, Jocko Willink, great reading experience, great audio experience. He also yeah, has yeah, a, a, a thing on Spotify that you can listen to, which is like an yeah. audio book, but nothing conventional, but you play it in the morning it starts with get out of bed now <laughs> if, you want, if you need a bit of a <laughs> yeah. spiritual practice in the wakes morning. Up at four o'clock in the morning you know it's like yeah <laughs> uh, he's hardcore yeah, but it, it taught me a lot about leadership um, yeah yeah book is great really recommend that's it. exactly how i picture your spiritual types getting out of bed in the morning yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about love Give me 10. I had my mic muted, uh, disclaimer, because Mochi the Cat, our co-moderator, has been coming to me and uh, hugging the mic. So excuses or apologies okay. if there's any wild cat noise. Uh, next essential question. What are your favorite games? Also, uh, one to three. 
So uh, I'm a big fan of strategy games. So my uh, go-to titles are the Civilization series. I started playing Civilization 1 when I was very young, uh, and I keep playing to this day. Um, Dune 2 is my probably my uh, first real uh, addiction in terms of uh, strategy games. I have Dune Legacy, uh, which is great for those uh, who like Dune 2. It's a really good remake. Um, Highly recommend it, um, but it's really you know it's an acquired taste. You know, this is the first mm-hmm. real-time strategy game, so uh, yeah, you love it or you hate it. Um, the third one, I struggle a little bit. Um, you know, I'm playing Assassin's Creed right now, which is really nice. Um, I, I consider Stormbound, uh, you know, a game like Fez. I really appreciate it. Uh, there's so much, so so many games that I really love. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know <laughs> the third one. <laughs> many, many others. Stardew yeah. Valley, you know, Mario Kart. Yeah, there's there's a whole bunch. All right, who's somebody from the games industry who you would like to get to know? Yeah, I was thinking about this one too. Is like uh, no specific person would come uh, come came to mind, um, but in general, what I love is talking to independent entrepreneurs who run like small or mid-sized studios because uh, we have so much in common um and you know like i said earlier we're usually dealing with very similar challenges so it's really it's always very enlightening and and inspiring to to talk uh, how are they solving things how how do they set things up and you know uh, what's going on in in their lives so uh, i love that Then uh, the other question, who is someone you know who you think we should have on this podcast? And as a disclaimer, this is actually how we got you on the podcast because Stephen said you. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so I was also thinking about this one and I think uh, somebody who might be very interesting to have is uh, Kun Deetman of Keoken. That's a Mm -hmm. a Dutch studio and they create uh, Deliver Us Mars. Um, yes. and deliver us the moon before and um yeah there it's two brothers actually uh, so that you might want to have both of them and they're also uh yeah th- th- they have layers as well so they're also you know uh conscious people i, I think they might be very interesting uh, to have and they have space suits exactly and a really great game coming right up so yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. they also were part of that uh, 2017 in the Arena booth lineup. At least oh, they, they were could, at yeah. the booth and streaming there with our in, in the studio. Yeah, cool. Uh, very good choice. Last question: Where can people find you? Um, well, meaning online. Uh, yeah, <laughs> online. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Usually in a retreat somewhere in the forest in Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I'm I'm not really active on social media, but uh, I am everywhere. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Just just search for my name. Um, you can actually also find me on Spotify. So uh, if you yeah, search for Derek de Geus, then you can uh, find some of the music that I created. Um, it's, uh, disclaimer: it's it's not that great. I guess. No, it's fantastic. I, I shouldn't say this, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's a it's a hobby on the side thing. So just uh, that's a small disclaimer. But uh, also on uh, DerekDeGeus.com uh, and of course PaladinStudios.com, uh, you can uh, find me uh, hanging out. Great, very nice.
I have the last last question, which is All right. what are what how would you like to to wrap this up? What are your uh, last words for this episode as we went uh, both into the realm of the spiritual and into the realm of the world of the practical? What would be your um, unifying uh, final message be here for us to to understand about you or about how you see the world? I would say that um, as human beings, you have everything in you. So uh, the, the worst of the worst and the best of the best is all in you. And if you explore the inner landscape, then you will find everything. And the trick is to not avert your eyes, but to keep looking and to keep diving in and then to put that into the world, whatever you find. So uh, that is the invitation uh, for being a human. You signed up for this shit, so you better get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thank you. Great last words. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to my ramblings. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the show. It was great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Goodbye to the audience. Goodbye to Derek. Goodbye to Simon. See you next time. Until next time. Until next time. Hi there, Simon here. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear here and you would like to hear more here, feel free to follow or to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you get your audio fix. We appreciate you and we promise you to bring you many more insightful conversations with fantastic games industry guests from Berlin and from all over Europe. Thank you very much and see you very soon. Bye-bye. Hi there. Before you go, this is Florian, Project Manager for Gamesnet Berlin Europe. If you want to stay connected to the network, find out more about upcoming events and links to other MediaNet initiatives, You can visit us at gamesetberlin.eu and subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and until next time.